The Trump administration, along with Republican senators, are fighting back against abortion activists, asking the Supreme Court to reinstate the FDA safety procedures on the sale of the abortion pill and asking the FDA to classify the abortion pill as dangerous. Now, eager to prove how anti-choice pro-choicers really are, abortion rights groups are suing over a Tennessee law that would give women the information and choice to reverse a medication abortion if she changes her mind. The same people who deny the science that babies are babies are actually saying that this Tennessee law is anti-science. We will be joined today by a Tennessee OBGYN author and pro-life advocate Brent Bowles to break down the lies of the abortion industry on the abortion reversal pill, how it's being used to save lives, and what this all means in the battle over abortion. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning into the show today. Hey, if you haven't given the show a rating and review yet, please do so. It really helps us reach more people. Our audience base is really starting to grow. We have more people joining our Patreon team, and that really helps us. So let us know what you think. We'd also like to thank a couple patrons of the show today over on patreon.com forward slash unaborted, John Perez and Daniel Mishkin. Daniel, Daniel Mishkin and John Perez, thank you for being patrons of the show and supporting our mission here at Unaborted to expose the bigotry of the pro-choice movement, to pull back the curtain on choice, and to bring moral and spiritual clarity to the issue of abortion by equipping individuals to stand for life. So the hotbed of the abortion debate over the last several months has been the abortion pill. The abortion industry has been pushing the abortion pill for years, but it has accelerated that debate due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the government shutdowns, because now they can make the argument that, well, you don't want us to endanger women's lives by venturing outside to go to an in-person appointment before they get the abortion pill because they might get COVID and die, despite the fact that we know that those who are not very elderly and those who don't have comorbidities are basically have very little, if anything, to fear from losing their life to COVID. But that's their argument. And it's so ironic, isn't it? Because it's coming from the people who literally kill humans in the womb. They don't care about the health and lives of those individuals. It's coming from the people who push the abortion pill, which actually can pose significant dangers to the health and lives of women. But suddenly they care about the health and lives of women who might get COVID and might probably won't at all die by venturing outside to go to an in-person appointment to get the abortion pill. Okay, so that's sort of the background of, of the debate that they're pushing right now. And before we get to the Trump administration's response and the some Republican senators who are fighting back against this extremism and pushing the abortion pill online. I want to do a quick review, a quick flyover of the debate and battle over the abortion pill, particularly during COVID-19. If you're a new listener to Unaborted, you may have missed some of the, I think, good and in-depth coverage we did over the last few months on how the abortion industry is weaponizing these shutdowns to push for that which they've always wanted which is to ship abortion pills all around the country without any in-person evaluations. They see this as a political opportunity to secure what they were already pushing for, which was what? To get the FDA 
to remove their risk evaluation and mitigation strategy requirements. Okay, that's the acronym is REMS. The FDA's REMS requirement are in place to protect the health and lives of women who are going to get the abortion pill, who are getting a prescription to take the abortion pill, which poisons their baby and harms their own body. And we're going to get into the reasons as to why the FDA has these regulations in place. It's not to prevent abortion. It actually has nothing to do with trying to reel back women's reproductive rights. It just has to do about ensuring that women's health is secured and taken care of, even if they've chosen to take a pill to kill their baby. But why does the abortion industry have a financial incentive to expand the sale of the abortion pill across the country online? I'm going to get to why in so doing, they've showed they don't care about the health and lives of women. But what's the real motivation? Okay, I think I think we should answer that really quickly, give you an overview of the debate and battle over the abortion pill, and then get to what's happening in the country right now. Well, 90% of abortions are performed in the first trimester, folks. When's the abortion pill taken? The first trimester, up to 10 weeks, right? So yeah, financially, it would make sense to push a type of abortion that is only reserved for first trimester abortions in which over 90% of abortions are performed. That's a huge financial opportunity. And the pro-life movement has been very successful over the last several years, over the last few decades, in banning later term abortions in different states. So let's push for earlier trimester abortions, right? That's That would be your financial business move if you make money on the killing of children. Brick and mortar abortion clinics are more expensive to operate, right? You got to pay the lease, got to have insurance, and then you have to have paid staff. That all is less money in the pockets of the abortion industry and their staff. Clinics, likewise, will incur the costs of getting rid of the children they kill. They typically have to pay some type of vendor or third party to come and pile all the dead baby body limbs into hazard waste containers and then take them away. More costs that you don't have to spend money on if you have less clinics and you can just push the abortion pill. Finding enough abortionists in some states can be difficult. Some more pro-life states only have one or two abortionists. But if women don't have to go in person to get an abortion, if they don't even have to go in person to get the pill, they can just do a telemedicine FaceTime call with the only abortionist in their state, then you don't have to have as many abortionists. And of course, the abortion pill is cheap and easy to manufacture and can be shipped all around the country as long as they can continue to have the FDA get rid of their safety requirements. Okay, so that's the financial motivation and incentive. Well, in May, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and other abortion-supporting groups sued the Health and Human Services and the FDA with ACLU lawyers, no surprise there, the greatest legal enemy to the unborn, to challenge the FDA's risk evaluation mitigation strategy rule, their REMS rule, the safety regulations they have in place on the sale of the abortion pill. And then ABC reported in July, and we covered this several weeks ago, that a federal judge suspended the rule requiring women during COVID to visit a hospital, clinic, or medical office to obtain RU486. That's the name of the abortion pill. And so thanks to the lawsuit put in place by these abortion, financially and politically motivated individuals and groups, the abortion industry, the abortion movement has been temporarily successful in having the FDA lift their requirements. And what was their argument, right? They argued that it's wrong and evil to force women to go outside. 
and have to travel to an in-person evaluation with a physician before getting the abortion pill, despite the fact that you're both wearing masks and it's only two people. <laughs> and it's funny, of course, the same people have nothing to say about the riots and looting and burning happening in America's major cities where almost no one's wearing masks. But they're very concerned about two people with masks in the same room for an in-person evaluation before they get the abortion pill. <laughs> um, and so that's their argument, right? That, that we need to have the FDA lift their requirements during COVID to protect the health and lives of women who are already committed to killing their children with the abortion pill. Suddenly, the abortion industry is very concerned with health and safety and lives. <laughs> so what is the abortion pill? Again, if you haven't been listening to the show and you're not aware of what the abortion pill is and what it does, it's called RU486. It's taken up to 10 weeks gestation. It's a two-regimen pill. The first regimen is called mifepristone or mifeprex. A woman takes it at the clinic in which she is prescribed the pill. After she takes the pill, it blocks the hormone progesterone. Progesterone is the natural hormone needed to stabilize the lining of the uterus. Without progesterone, the lining of the uterus breaks down, cutting off blood and nutrients to the child who is starved to death. So mifepristone starves little humans in the womb. Okay. Then within 24 or 48 hours, she takes misoprostol which forces her uterus to have contractions and she expels her dead baby into the toilet and after after at which point she flushes and abortion industry workers tell her don't look right so that's what the abortion pill is and does so why do the FDA have regulations on the sale of the abortion pill. Why do they require women to have an in-person evaluation with the person giving them the abortion pill first? And typically that in-person evaluation includes an ultrasound. Why? So what exactly are the FDA's regulations and what has the abortion industry been successful in forcing the FDA to lift? Well, here they are. Two primary reasons as to why the FDA's regulations are so important. When they perform that ultrasound on the woman seeking the abortion pill, that tells the physician or the abortionist two things. One, the gestational age of the pregnancy, and two, whether or not she has an ectopic pregnancy. So let's start with the gestational age of the baby. Without properly dating the pregnancy, women are put at huge risks for incomplete abortions. Now, the pro-life movement is firstly concerned with the child who's being killed, obviously, but because we're not successful right now in banning first trimester abortions or hardly any abortions in that case, we do want to ensure that women aren't unnecessarily harmed or killed in the process of arranging the death of their children. And you would think that the pro-choice movement who says they exist to cater to the health of women would be on board with ensuring that their safety and health care health protections put in place for the health of women. <laughs> so many women date their pregnancies wrong, okay? Many women may think that they're eight weeks, and so they go take the abortion pill, but they could be 14 or 15 weeks. I've talked to OBGYNs who tell me that they that women regularly misstate their pregnancies when they come in, when they think that they're further along than they really are, or not as far along as they really are, right? So if she thinks she's eight weeks, but she's really 12 or 13 or 14 weeks along, and she takes the abortion pill, that can significantly impact her health because it can lead to incomplete abortions. It can lead to infection. And if left untreated, it could lead to the death of the mother. So that's the first reason. Now, how are they going to know that if the abortion industry is successful in continuing to keep the FDA from enforcing their safety regulations such that no in-person evaluations would be required? We would have no idea and women would start getting harmed and killed. The second reason is that by performing an ultrasound in an in-person evaluation, you are able to rule out whether the woman has an ectopic pregnancy or not. What's an ectopic pregnancy? It's when the baby implants in the fallopian tube and not the uterine wall. Ectopic pregnancies, if left undiagnosed, will almost always lead to the death of the mother. 
So you have to diagnose that. Now, if a woman takes the abortion pill when she has an ectopic pregnancy, but she doesn't know she has an ectopic pregnancy because the abortion industry was successful in attacking her health and life by saying you don't have to go in for an in-person evaluation, then she could also die from that. That's why the FC's regulations are so important in common sense to pro-choice individuals or ought to be. Oh, and also, according to the FDA, risk and effects include abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, headache, heavy bleeding, and maternal death. 24 women have died taking the abortion pill since it hit the open market. Average bleeding lasts 9 to 16 days, and women will endure about uh, 8% to 10% of women will endure bleeding for more than 30 days. A 2000 Oxford University Press study found that the average failure rate of the abortion pill is about 8%. That translates to about 1 in 12 women who will have incomplete medication abortions and will have to go back in for surgical abortions, which have their own risks as well. Okay? So that's your flyover background of the abortion pill and why the FDA safety regulations are more than warranted. And so the pro-choice movement is showing their true face. The mask has slipped. And we can see them for the leprous villains that they are. Their cards are fully being shown. (laughs) It's clear that they do not care about the health of women. The partisans of abortion are willing to sacrifice the health and lives of women that they claim to serve on the altar of ensuring and expanding abortion access. In other words, 10xing the amount of abortions they do is far more important to the abortion industry than protecting the health of women. And that has become abundantly clear. So next, we're going to get to the Trump administration's response to all of this and what Republican senators are doing to fight back. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and consider becoming a patron of the show. Check out our new tiers on there. I think we have about nine different ones, obviously all at different monthly financial commitment levels, but you get all sorts of perks just available to patrons if you want to sign up. Uh, You know, the pro-life movement needs your help. The pro-choice movement makes a lot of money on the killing of children, and they get massive political donations, and they get a ton of our tax dollars. The pro-life movement is largely privately funded, and we need your help to reach more people. So if that's on your heart and you want to consider helping expand the reach of this show, the amount of episodes that we do, and the type of content that we create to change minds, change hearts, and save lives, consider doing that. Thank you so much, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show. So again, I want to really drive this point home, okay? This is not even a pro-life versus pro-choice debate anymore. This is a debate over whether you care about ensuring the health protections for women who are already born and already pursuing an abortion. This is not even about pro-life versus pro-choice anymore. It's simply, do you support the FDA safety regulations to ensure that the best type of safety precautions and medical care and precautions are put in place so that women are not unnecessarily harmed in the process of pursuing a medication abortion. That's all the debate is about. And the fact that the pro-choice movement is so willing to file lawsuits, which we're going to get to in a little bit, to ensure that women don't have access to reversing their abortions and to attacking the FDA to ensure that the safety precautions put in place are lifted during COVID-19 gives away the game, doesn't it? It tells you everything you need to know. The mask is fully off and the face that we're seeing is not a pretty one, is it? The face of the pro-abortion industry when it's not stacked 
in layers of euphemism and doublespeak is an ugly one indeed. And so thankfully, the Trump administration is fighting back and asking the Supreme Court to reinstate the FDA's REMS safety requirements that the ACLU was temporarily successful in getting a federal judge to to lift during at least COVID. And if you think that that's that the pro the abortion industry and the politicians that serve at the beck and call of the abortion industry are going to immediately revert to putting those safety precautions back into place when COVID is done and this manufactured political crisis is over, uh, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. So according to the CNBC on August 26, uh, they report that Trump's Department of Justice is asking the Supreme Court to reinstate the FDA's REMS requirement that federal judge Theodore Huang suspended due to COVID-19. And we covered that in a recent episode. According to the article, the Justice Department in its application to the Supreme Court argued that any burdens of forcing women to comply with those restrictions, right, the restrictions to have an in-person evaluation before getting the abortion pill, forcing women to apply with those uh, restrictions with a one-time clinic visit are outweighed by the risks of them suffering serious side effects of the pill. Duh, we just went through some of the side effects of the pill and the side effects of not having that in-person evaluation before getting the abortion pill. The FDA says the restrictions are necessary to mitigate what it characterizes as serious health risks associated with mifepristone, such as excessive bleeding. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit, which is considering the DOJ's appeal of Huang's ruling on August 13th, likewise refused to suspend Huang's order pending the outcome of the appeal. So in other words, the federal judge that suspended the FDA safety regulations on the sale of the abortion pill is still in place. That that suspension of those requirements is still in place. But we should certainly be thankful that the Trump administration is fighting back and demanding and asking the FDA to reinstate those. Um, and that's that, that should be entirely uncontroversial, even to the partisans of abortion. And the Trump administration are not the only ones uh, fighting back, thankfully. Republican senators from all around the country are doing so as well. And they're going a step further. They're asking the FDA to remove the abortion pill from the market because of how dangerous it is to women. According to National Review, Alexandra DeSanctis writing on September 1st, a piece called GOP Senators Asked the FDA to Classify the Abortion Pill as Dangerous. Quote, a group of 20 Republican senators led by Texas Senator Ted Cruz sent a letter to the Food and Drug Administration calling on Commissioner Stephen Hahn to, quote, classify the abortion pill as an imminent hazard, hazard to the public health that poses a significant threat of danger and remove this pill from the U.S. market. Uh, and again, for the, sort of a history of the abortion pill. Listen to our recent episode, Cancel the Abortion Pill. Regarding the decision of this federal judge, Theodore Huang, to force the FDA to cease enforcing their safety regulations, the senators write, we believe that this rogue judicial activism is a gross breach of the separation of powers, undermining the FDA's statutory authority to ensure drug safety, while reckless, recklessly endangering American women and children. They call it, they're calling it an opportunistic ploy to expand access to abortion under the fallacy that the REMS imposes an undue burden on women's rights. That is exactly right. Thank God for these pro-life senators who are merely acknowledging reality that removing the abortion pill from the market should be utterly uncontroversial, even if you think unborn children are non-person blobs of tissue because of the risk that it poses to women's health. And lives. 
and they explicitly acknowledge the fallacy in trying to argue that lifting the safety regulations is very important because of the undue burden that it forces onto women's rights. What is that undue burden? What what, what would be the argument that the pro-abortion movement would make? They would say, well, the undue burden is forcing women to get into the car (laughs) while wearing a mask that we've been told magically protects us and drive to the physician's office or the abortion clinic or the hospital to have an in-person evaluation with a doctor who's also wearing a mask before you get the abortion pill. That's the undue burden. Yeah, that, that oh, that's very undue burden. That's very dangerous. That's such a curtailment of women's rights. Ridiculous. That's not an undue burden. That's been what all women have had to do to get abortions for decades and centuries. They have to go somewhere typically to someone else who performs the abortion or gives them poison for them to kill their baby themselves. It's not an undue burden on women's rights. And this is hilarious, right? Because the same people who have nothing to say regarding passengers on planes inches away from one another wearing masks or BLM protesters and rioters in the hundreds and Costco stores packed with mask customers are suddenly so concerned about the health of women who might die from COVID while attending an in-person evaluation with one other person with a mask before killing a child and harming their body with poisonous chemicals. Yeah, if you believe this line that, that that really just concerned with the health and lives of women, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. They're they're taking their mask off while insisting we wear them and showing the politically motivated actors that they really are. This is about expanding access to abortion so that they can continue to turn massive profits on the killing of children, ensuring that when women want to get an abortion, we can just tell them you don't even need to go to the physician's office. Just jump on a FaceTime call with an abortionist and we'll just send it right to your house. This is the new horizon of the abortion industry. And again, thank God for these Republican senators for fighting back. The article by DeSantis continues and said the the letter by the Republican senators also notes that President Bill Clinton's administration rushed the abortion pill through the FDA approval process under political pressure, saying it is nakedly obvious that the abortion industry and its allies in the media, billionaire philanthropic circles and special interest groups have wanted an unregulated and demedicalized abortion pill since the moment the FDA first approved it in 2000. And again, for more on the history of the abortion pill (laughs) and the incentivized actors behind its production and sales, go listen to our episode, Cancel the Abortion Pill, and go to liveaction.org and navigate to their abortion pill kills investigative video and report And you will likely be disgusted with the history of the abortion pill, the way that it was fast tracked to mass production and sales and the types of eugenics and bigotry that were involved in the inception and genesis of the abortion pill. So these are some of the people who are fighting back and refusing to comply with the demands of the abortion industry. And federal judges who are going along with the abortion industry's goals of ensuring that no type of hindrance is in place whatsoever to women getting abortion pills, to women killing their children so that they can 10x their sales on the abortion abortion pill while claiming this is for the health and protection of women's lives because we don't want them to get COVID by venturing outside and going to an in-person evaluation 
that the FDA says is simply in place to ensure that women don't unnecessarily die from undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies or babies who are older than they think they are. And then that's why these safety regulations are in place. Uh, they they want to get rid of all of that. So next, we'll be speaking to a special guest to discuss Tennessee abortion activists who are currently suing the state, ready for this, to prevent women obtaining these abortion pills, obtaining a medication abortion, from being told that she can reverse it if she changes her mind within the first day or two. Oh, can't tell women that. Can't tell women that. We're only pro-choice until the point that we don't want certain information given to women to make informed choices. So we're going to talk to our guest next. But first, I have an exciting announcement. My university speaking tour this school year is entitled The Myth of the Pro-Choice Feminist, examining the history of the women's movement and the sexual revolution. And we will discover how the two got in bed with each other and the damage that their infidelity wrought on women, families, and preborn children. So for questions and bookings to consider bringing this to your college or club in the fall or in the spring, email me at seth at sethgruber.com, seth at sethgruber.com, and we will also have this available in a tabling format for those of you who want to do activism on your college campus but uh, can't do indoor events because we're all going to die from COVID. You can also contact me through social media, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show. So this last segment, I want to talk about sort of what's happening on the state level, particularly in Tennessee. So we have the ACLU fighting on the federal level, suing the FDA at the request of abortion rights groups in order to remove any type of safety precautions in place to protect the health and lives of women who are already getting the abortion pill. Then we have the Trump administration, Republican senators acting on the federal level to try to get the abortion pill out of the U.S. market and to get the FDA to put their safety regulations back in place to protect women and families. But this battle is happening at the state level as well, because this is the hotbed of the abortion wars right now. This is the push far more than any other aspect of the abortion debate right now. This is what is getting all the attention because this is what the politically motivated abortion interest groups want to do. They recognize the threat of pro-life individuals reeling back abortion at later stages of pregnancy. They recognize that in many states, there's only one or two abortion clinics left. So, hey, if we can just throw a ton of effort, political campaigns and money at the abortion pill, we can sell way more abortions at a way lower margin and line our pockets with the blood money created off of killing children and then donate large portions of that to politicians who will continue protecting reproductive health care. This is the move. So it's happening all over the place. Right now, it's happening in Tennessee. The abortion rights groups are challenging a Tennessee law simply requiring women who are obtaining abortion pills that those women are informed by those giving them the abortion pill that the procedure can be reversed if they change their mind within the first 24 or 48 hours. That's just called informed consent, folks. This is not controversial. None of what we have talked about hardly in this episode today should be something that pro-choicers disagree with. And the fact that they do gives away the game. It shows that women seeking abortions are political pawns that they will happily throw into the fire, sacrifice onto their altars of expanding abortion access. According to ABC News on August 31st, first by Kimberly Crusay, 
talking about this lawsuit that seeks to block the Tennessee abortion reversal law. The article says the law focuses mainly on banning abortion once the fetal heartbeat is detected about six weeks into pregnancy before many women know they're pregnant. That portion was challenged just hours after the GOP-dominated state house advanced the bill during the final hours of the annual legislative session. However, also tucked into the 38-page law is a requirement that doctors must inform women that drug-induced abortions may be halted halfway right? Reversed. Medical groups say the claim isn't backed up by science and there is little information about the reversal procedure safety. And a federal judge has since granted a temporary restraining order on the fetal heartbeat ban, arguing that he was, quote, bound by the Supreme Court holdings, prohibiting undue burden. There it is again, undue burden on the availability of pre-viability abortion. So the Tennessee pro-life law is currently being blocked from going through. So to discuss this battle happening in Tennessee right now, I have invited my friend Dr. Brent Bowles onto the show. Dr. Bowles is a practicing OBGYN in Tennessee. He is an author and pro-life advocate and has engaged publicly defending and explaining how the abortion reversal pill works, why women should be informed about their option to use it should they change their mind, and debunking the lies the abortion industry tells about the abortion reversal pill. So welcome to the show, Dr. Bowles. Good morning, Seth. Thank you so much for coming on and thanks for all that you do. Well, you're very welcome. It's a privilege. So I just explained to our, our listeners what's going on in Tennessee, in your great state, regarding the lawsuit brought by abortion rights groups against the state's pro-life law that simply require women obtaining a medication abortion be told by the physician that it can be reversed by the abortion reversal pill and, and letting them know the, you know the, the success rate and chance and presenting that option and information to them. So first, uh, just as someone who's sort of on the front lines on the grounds there, explain to us what the abortion reversal pill is. Um, and how it works. All right. Well, the abortion pill is a uh, basically a progesterone blocker. Progesterone is a hormone produced by the ovary during the first trimester of pregnancy and then produced by the placenta for the remainder of the pregnancy, and it's vital to the survival of the pregnancy. It promotes better blood flow so the child gets the oxygen and fluid and nutrition it needs. It keeps the wall of the uterus relaxed so that the mother doesn't go into labor too soon. And um, it, it's the, the pregnancy can't survive without it. So a French chemist developed a, a chemical compound that blocks the action of progesterone. As you have described very eloquently in a prior podcast, he was he worked for a company that was a descendant of the company that produced Zyklon B that was used to kill Jews in World War II uh, in the Nazi gas chambers. Well, that's the the heritage and the lineage of this particular chemical. Um, And that's what it is. It's a chemical. It blocks the action of progesterone so that the child suffocates and starves. The placenta becomes weak and necrotic and then with the aid of the second medication in the regimen, uh, the misoprostol, uh, the uterus cramps like it does during labor and expels the contents. Um, And like you say, they tell them, you know, pass it in the toilet and don't look, just flush, because they don't want people to see what they've done. Well, so that's that's what reversal, that's that's where reversal comes in and works. Uh, If the woman who has taken this first pill, the Mifeprex, begins to take high-dose progesterone, the sooner the better, but within the first three days, and before she has used the misoprostol, 
then the extra progesterone can overcome the blockade that is produced by the progesterone blocker. And 68% of women who take the regimen that we're using will have embryos that survive. And the reason this law is important, I just I spoke with a woman last Thursday, Thursday afternoon. She had been to uh, one of the two facilities in the Nashville area that prescribed the abortion pill. She had taken the Mifeprex. Less than an hour later, she realized she regretted it, that she wished she hadn't done it. She decided that she had made a mistake, and she called the facility back and said, is there anything I can do? You know, I only took it an hour ago. Is there anything I can do? And they said, no, there's nothing that works. And those people who tell you they can reverse it are liars. Oh, my gosh. And they hung up on her. Unbelievable. That's why this law is important, because their pattern of practice is not just a violation of simple, basic ethics. It's a violation of the American Medical Association Code of Ethics. Their Code of Ethics in Section 1.1.1 and 1.1.3, if any of your listeners want to look them up or any of our opponents want to look them up and see what they're breaking, um, those two clauses say that informed consent is important, that it must be provided clearly, objectively, questions must be answered, and the person providing the consent um, information cannot do so in a way that is self-serving. That, those exact words, self-serving, is prohibited. That self-serving is, that's in there. It's in the Code of Ethics. Wow. So what is the abortion industry doing when they're telling people that you can't do anything about this? They're self-serving because they're not advocates for women. They're advocates for abortion. That's right. That's incredible, Dr. Bowles. Yeah. So, so I mean, obviously, you know, if, if they were truly pro-choice, they would be pro-information, which enables women to make informed choices. But if it's just progesterone, right? So a natural hormone, which the abortion yes. pill blocks, it seems yes. that, explain this to me, it seems that such a pill wouldn't be dangerous at all to women's health, just sort of from, from my somewhat informed perspective. Is that right? It's not dangerous at all. That is such so much smoke and mirrors. For all your listeners, if you're on any kind of hormonal birth control, then you are taking a form of progesterone. Most all forms of hormonal birth control have some form of progesterone in them. So what does, what's one of the things Planned Parenthood does? Oh, we provide birth control. Okay, you're already giving progesterone to what you claim to be millions and millions of women. <laughs> but you want to tell us that reversing it with progesterone, reverse, right, reversing right. an abortion with progesterone, so progesterone is dangerous? Then, yeah, progesterone only becomes bad when it's being used to save the lives exactly. that the abortion industry has a financial incentive to poison and kill. Uh, exactly. Okay. We've wow, that's very helpful. For 50, we've been using it for more than 50 years in women's health. Wow. Menopausal women who haven't had a hysterectomy that are taking hormones are on progesterone. Um, we use it to prevent preterm labor, so we give it in pregnancy. And there's actually an FDA-approved use of progesterone during pregnancy wow. to prevent the, to reduce the risk of preterm labor. <laughs> and more and more articles are coming out. The very medication that we use to provide reversal. There was an article in what's called the Gray Journal, the Journal of um, it's a it's an OBGYN journal, uh, very academic, very neutral in most cases. Um, article in just the most recent issue that talks about using high-dose prometrium, the medication we use for reversal, to reduce the risk of miscarriage in women that have had multiple miscarriages. So its use in the first trimester as safe and effective is being promoted 
by part of the OBGYN community, but opposed by abortion advocates. Wow. So, yeah, j- just like uh, cancel culture, the, the left selective outrage uh, kind of gives away the game. They have no problem with progesterone in any other uh, sort of vertical market or usage, except when it's saving babies that they can make money off of killing. So um, exactly. that, that's very helpful, Dr. Bowles. I, I want to get to this next. So the abortion industry, right, and I, I went through this earlier in this episode with my listeners, says the reason they are so concerned with the availability of the abortion reversal pill, and specifically in your state, the requirement to tell women that they can change their mind and reverse the abortion, is because, you know, Dr. Bull, studies have actually shown it is dangerous to women. And it's, it's so it's out of their great commitment to protect women's health that they oppose the reversal pill. Um, and they cite studies from George Delgado in San Diego back in 2012 and Dr. Mitchell Creenan of UC Davis most recently. And and when sort of the abortion reversal pill debate was starting to rage all across the abortion, uh, the pro-life movement and the pro-choice movement, uh, all these articles came out right from just garbage heap websites like uh, Cut and other ones saying that we have to oppose this because women are dying, women are bleeding. Um, is that true? And and, and how, how should we think through the, the studies that they're pointing to saying this is actually dangerous for women? Oh, it's absolutely not true. And there's an easy way to look at it if you just evaluate the literature. The article by Dr. Delgado back in 2012 was not a randomized study. You know, there there are different kinds of medical studies you can do. There are randomized, controlled, double-blinded studies, which is like that's the Cadillac, the the gold standard, uh, the best kind of study you can do if you can do it. But then there are also... uh, case series reports. There are. There's a method called meta-analysis where you look at a group of case series reports and combine all the results. There's, there are all kinds of ways to do medical studies, and not every medical breakthrough that we have is the result of a randomized controlled double-blinded study. You know, we're hearing a lot of this about the COVID epidemic and the use of hydroxychloroquine. You know, they're telling us that there are no randomized controlled double-blinded studies that says this is safe or effective. Well, there are also no randomized controlled double-blinded studies that say it's not. Hmm. You know, um, so people who use statistics can frequently, uh, you know, twist them to make them say anything they want. But what Dr. Delgado's study said look, women are starting to ask if they can reverse the effects of the abortion pill if they haven't, if it's, if it's done early. So we tried this because based on the rock-solid principles of pharmacology, if you have given a hormone blocker, you can give the hormone to overcome that. That's, that's a basic principle of toxicology. Right someone has taken something that's poisonous or harmful, you can give them high doses of something that opposes that. That's, that's general pharmacology and science. So Dr. Delgado said, we've, we've looked at supplementing with high-dose progesterone. We've used high-dose progesterone in high-risk pregnancies and in women's health care for decades. It's safe. This medication is already approved. So here's a series of six women who we gave them progesterone immediately after they took the Mifeprex, and four of them had babies that survived. Hmm. And that was the only conclusion he made wow. and, you know, basically said, we need to do further research on this. So they did. But that study of six is usually the only one that the abortion advocates point to. They ignore the fact that there are three or four other studies who have come out since then investigating larger numbers of people. And the largest one 
evaluated 754 women. Now, that's more than six. Wow. 754 women. And of the women in that group who took the regimen that we are currently using through the abortion pill reversal network, 68% of them had surviving babies. Wow. If the woman takes the Mifeprex and doesn't, isn't told that she can take progesterone, but says, you know, I'm sorry I did that. I don't know what I can do, but I'm not going to take my misoprostol. If she does that, there's a fetal or embryonic survival rate of only 8%. Wow. So the Mifeprex by itself will kill 92% of the babies, but 8% will survive as long as they don't take the Mifeprex. Those are not pro-life statistics. Those are abortion industry and FDA statistics. Wow. Uh, so if you don't like it, take it up with them, <laughs> folks. Um, so the going from 8% survival to 68% survival. That's a Incredible. huge statistical difference. And when you're basing that on a number of people, that numbers in the hundreds, not just half a dozen, that's, that's a solid conclusion. Now, they're basing their recent recommendation, you know, they, they took a victory lap and waved the abortion flag when Dr. Mitchell Creenan came out with a paper. He decided, you know, with to a lot of fanfare that he was going to, and he's an abortionist, by the way, um, he decided he was going to disprove abortion pill reversal. So he created a study, and the study design involved two groups of women. Twenty of the women, they only wanted 40 people in the study. They're, they did a statistical calculation and said they could prove effectiveness or lack of effectiveness by looking at only 40 people. 20 in each group. One group would take the Mifeprex and then take a placebo. The other group would take Mifeprex and then take progesterone. They stopped after enrolling only 12 people. <laughs> and then they did a press release saying attempts to reverse are too dangerous. We had to stop this study with only 12 people because too many of them have to go to the emergency room and need blood transfusions and need surgery. So this proves that it's too dangerous to try. And nobody asked any questions. <laughs> the American College of OBGYN got on board. That's why I'm no longer a member of that. Haven't been in years. I'm a member of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, who is a professional organization of more than 4,000 pro-life OBs who support reversal attempts and have published extensively about that. Wonderful. Anyway, that's an aside. So look at, the, look at the group of 12. They had six in the placebo group and six in the treatment group. They had three women out of the 12 who went to the emergency room for bleeding. One of the women was bleeding but did not need a DNC, did not need surgery, and did not need a blood transfusion. One of the women needed a blood transfusion because she bled so much the other one needed both a blood transfusion and surgery. So which groups were those women in? The, women, the one woman who went to the emergency room and did not need blood and did not need surgery was in the treatment group. She took the Mifeprex and then she took the progesterone. The progesterone for her was not successful. When she came to the emergency room, the embryo was already dead and she was bleeding from that process and then she passed it spontaneously, did not need surgery, did not need a blood transfusion. The other five in that group had surviving embryos. Wow. So they criticized Dr. Delgado's group of six for saying that it has a 68% survival rate, 
but their group of six that took reversal has an 80% survival rate. They didn't want to continue this study and prove that with 40 patients. And they didn't talk about the 80% survival rate in their treatment group of six before they stopped the study. So that's one reason why they stopped the study, not out of an abundance of concern for women's safety, but about an abundance of concern that they were showing that it's probably more effective than we say it is. That's it. That's exactly it right there, Dr. Bull. So, wow, the thank you. the part about it being more dangerous, the two women who needed blood and one of them who need, also needed surgery, they were in the group that didn't get the progesterone. So if you're going to make a conclusion about the danger, it's dangerous to take the Mifeprex and then not try to reverse it. That's where the danger comes in. So their stated conclusions and the media celebration of this particular study um, is all just bogus. Wow. Because it showed exactly the opposite of what they wanted it to show. Exactly. Reversal is more effective than we thought, and the Mifeprex is more dangerous than we thought. Wow. Well, it was it was wonderful to have Dr. Bowles on the show. You can uh, follow him on Facebook. He has written on the abortion issue and, and shares really good medical information, particularly right now on this push by the abortion industry to not even tell women that if while they're getting the abortion pill, that if you change your mind, that there's an abortion reversal pill and has a pretty high percentage success rate up to maybe 65 or 80 percent. No, we can't tell them that. Right. So you can follow him for more information on that. I want to just had sort of add a closing comment to the conversation we had with with Dr. Bowles. If it's not if it's not dangerous for women to take the abortion reversal pill, right, which Dr. Bowles made incredibly clear, then the worst case scenario for a woman who takes the abortion reversal pill is that it doesn't work and the mother still loses her baby, but she isn't harmed at all. That would be the worst case scenario. And so there's no reason for the abortion industry to oppose the abortion reversal pill unless they don't want babies being saved, unless they don't want word getting out about how dangerous the abortion pill can be, because that might compromise the sale of their abortions. But best case scenario, if the abortion pill reversal pill works, and she gets to keep her baby, then that was her choice. Isn't that what the pro-choice movement is all about? Giving women choices? Apparently not. Apparently when it, do- when it doesn't serve the political goals of the abortion behemoth, then choice is very bad. Information which we use to make informed choices becomes very bad. If the pill doesn't harm the health of the women taking it, why would the abortion industry sue to prevent such information from being shared with women because they don't care about these women. They don't. And anyone telling you differently is lying to you. We have continued episode after episode on the show to go through the the moves of the abortion industry through policy, right? Through culture to intentionally hurt the health of women, to not give them all of their choices. And that gives away the game. It shows that they are not in this business, in these services, to help women's reproductive health care. Right? We're told abortion is health care. And abortionists are doctors. Except when those doctors want to provide the full range of care to women seeking abortion by giving them information to make their own informed autonomous choices. Can't have that. 
because we might kill less babies and make less money on the killing of those children. The abortion pill starves babies and hurts women, but pro-choicers love it. And they will lie to the women they claim to serve and that their industry exists to serve for political gain, for financial gain. They hate children and they hate women because they treat women as subhuman, right? They treat the women obtaining abortions as less than fully human by denying them information that free and autonomous individuals are entitled to to make their own decisions. That's part of our natural rights as human beings is to live our lives how we want to in accordance with our beliefs. But we can't do that if we have politically motivated actors launching propaganda campaigns that intentionally exclude medical information that men and women would want to know to make those decisions. That's why Dr. Bowles referenced a woman and who, who said, I would have liked to know this. I wasn't told this. And all of the women that OBGYNs tell me about when they provide the abortion reversal pill are told that, yes, they would like to know that information or if they weren't given it before, they would have liked to know it. If you care about women, if you're truly pro-choice, you should be supporting the efforts of these pro-life politicians in Tennessee requiring that abortionists and physicians tell women after giving them the abortion pill that it can be reversed and they will provide them with that information and abortion reversal pill if they want to take it. So we're going to continue covering the moves of the abortion industry as it pertains to the abortion pill. Again, for more information, you can go to Abortion Pill Kills Investigative Report with live action. They're doing phenomenal works on the front lines of this battle right now, and they have action points on how you can get engaged to ensure that we protect the children that these pills are designed to poison and the women whose bodies are harmed in the process and often out of ignorance because they're being treated like pawns by those who claim to care about them. Well, that's what we have time for for today. Thanks for joining me. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Give the show a rating and review so we can reach more people. That really means a lot. If you want to engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com. That's S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com for my training videos, my speaking schedule as I'm hitting the road again this fall, and to subscribe to my newsletter. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted.